Hello. This is going to be a sort of character study. Not exactly, because there's not so much we know about him, but still, reflections, let's say, on Michael Isaacson, a professor in America that we've, a lot of us have come to know, uh, be acquainted with in, over the last month or so. Now, there's a cliché that... Leftists and Antifa types, and SJWs especially, who moan about the military or the police, do so because they know that they could never handle it being in the police or, or especially the military. In other words, they might well be physically weak, but they, more importantly, are psychologically weak, cowardly, gutless. Uh, and so they seethe with jealousy and f and also are very scared of uh, men who can handle that responsibility and handle that uh, threat to themselves of personal safety, uh, the mortal danger of being on a battlefield, and so on. And so leftists see these guys, these strong uh, K-type men, and are sort of tormented because it makes them realise their own weakness. And it is not, as I say, not just physical weakness. You could almost say that the physical weakness is chosen because anyone can work out, anyone can build themselves up. But leftists, many of them, especially SJWs, glory in being skinny and out of shape and, and effeminate, weak. And I think it's because they are expressing the way they are internally. They are, they are feminine, they are scared, passive, submissive, and R-type. Want of a better uh, and less incendiary expression. Now, the case of Michael Isaacson gives us, it stands as a very good example of this, I think. Now, Michael Isaacson is a 29-year-old adjunct professor teaching, or who did teach, economics at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City. He's been suspended. I doubt he'll get the job back. Who knows? <laughs> Depends how mad the academic environment is nowadays, and I'm not sure. You can never quite keep track of that. Now, on the 23rd of August, 2017, Michael Isaacson tweeted the following. Some of y'all might think it sucks being an anti-fascist teaching at John Jay College, but I think it's a privilege to teach future dead cops. Now, John Jay College is a college that is a large percentage of the student body are going to be police officers in the future, and that is its raison d'etre. And uh, so... Here we have Michael Isaacson saying that he is Antifa, and I think he has, has actually categorically said that he considers himself a communist or a Marxist. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But he is, an anti, he is Antifa. And he's the comfortable type of Antifa who, well, you know, it's amazing. He's exactly the type of person who two years ago would have been an SJW, and he would have, that's, he would have limited himself to that. I'm into, I, I care about social justice, but now he allies himself with um, the much more aggressive and shrill 
form of leftism, uh, Antifa. That's kind of tangential. Okay, so he said, some of y'all might think it sucks being an Antifa teaching at John Jay College, but I think it's a privilege to teach future dead cops. And um, I don't believe that this was picked up on immediately. I think it was like two weeks later or something. Somebody spotted this and decided to make a stink about it. Understandably, because, well, the idea of uh, a guy trusted to teach young men who are going to be police officers, see, uh, turning away from them and saying to the public at large, hey, these guys are going to be dead soon, uh, is rather worrying. It's sick as well, of course, and it's sick how he gloats about it, but it's also worrying for various reasons, because it obviously casts doubt on the integrity of the, the academic establishment that employed this guy, but it also uh, makes people worry about the integrity of academia in general. If this is what a professor is saying, then what the hell's going on? Because professors once upon a time were, well, pillars of the society. And here we have this guy glorying in the idea of uh, the enforcers of law and order just being killed. So yeah, that's rather disconcerting. And what's more, this is this tweet from Michael Isaacson was not an isolated incident. Uh, a week before, uh, just one week before that one, he tweeted, what's even the point of a cop that isn't dead? And also, it's not a recent thing, because as uh, far back as December the 5th, 2015, nearly two years ago, he tweeted, the solution to American gun violence is more dead cops. Quite remarkable. And of course, you have to ask, how didn't his employers find out about it? If he's doing it openly on Twitter, how didn't they find out about it? Or did they find out about it and just didn't care? Which is obviously much more uh, scary. Anyway, so controversy broke out about this. And then uh, Michael Isaacson was lampooned all over the internet. He happens to be burdened with a long, thin neck. And of course, people you know, made giraffe jokes and so on. And also his body language is uh, effeminate and snooty. Uh, yeah. So he, was, he is an easy guy to take the piss out of. And in response to that, he doubled down. He refused to admit that he was wrong, uh, and he refused to understand why people objected, or and also why people found him personally objectionable, which of course is the crux of the issue, really. He refused to see that. He also, even when, you know, you would think in the face of all this public opprobrium, somebody would be moved to self-reflect and think, okay, what? What have I done that's wrong? Why did I do it? What made me do it? What, what is it in my character that makes me say these things and think and want these things? But no, not at all. He doesn't seem to engage in any self-reflection. And he seems to lack self-awareness uh, in real time. He seems not to understand how he's coming across and why people find it infuriating. Why people disagree. Uh, on mass, and I think that's because he operates 
in an academic environment of unbridled leftism. And he has been in such an environment for at least 10 years, because I'm guessing he went to university about 18, so that's 11 years. And that's all his adult life. And who knows, maybe his high school was also similarly uh, leftoid in its tone, in its tenor. However, he did uh, publish this statement. It is an undeniable fact that by virtue of teaching at a college where a good chunk of the students intend to be cops, I am teaching future dead cops, he said. <laughs> I mean, that is uh, an undeniable fact. It is a statistical certainty that some of them will die in the course of their duty, and all of them will eventually die of something. So he's, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's just a fatuous thing for him to say, honestly. But he goes on. Policing isn't, I mean, it's like he's saying that, <laughs> what is he saying there? That it's just, a, it, he was just stating a fact that some that they will be dead in the future. No, because he was gloating about it. He was saying it was a pleasure to teach, he thinks it was a privilege to teach future dead cops. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on with this statement. Policing is an institution that operates in the interest of increasingly unrepresentative governments. Um, honestly, that's another issue. To me, that's, that, I can see truth in that, but I can also see false, falsity in it. But ultimately, we're still talking about human beings. This is something that people on all around the political spectrum often forget. You, know, you get right-wing anarchists saying similar things. Ultimately, you're still talking about human beings who perform these roles. And when you cheapen their deaths, you are cheapening the deaths of human beings who have families and friends and all the rest of it. Okay, so he goes on. Insofar as police enforce a regime that would serve the interests of prison and weapons lobbyists, as well as governments increasingly reliant on criminalising the public to balance their budget. <laughs> what the fuck? I am against law enforcement. <laughs> Insofar as police enforce a regime that would serve the interests of people, uh, of prison and weapons lobbyists, as well as governments who are increasingly reliant on criminalising the public, in order to balance their budget, I am against law enforcement. It sounds very much like an, uh, the kind of excuse that an adolescent would use in order to justify his, in order to dignify his angst. But in this case, I don't think it's angst that this guy has. He's 29, he's well past the adolescent phase. It's not angst, it's, well, we'll get onto that later. <laughs> okay, let's, let's continue with this statement. Being that police officers are put into this situation with largely no control over how they deploy enforcement, lest they be fired, I seek to teach my students the economic reality of policing as a system and their ultimate role should they choose to enter that field. Well, that is all... Uh, I mean, th that could be true or it, could, it might not be true. It doesn't negate the fact that he laughed about these people dying. Well, be precise, he mocked the prospect of them dying once they enter that field. So he's here claiming that it was sort of in the abstract and he's concerned with policing in the abstract. No, but no, he was mocking the idea of real people being killed. So anyway, as a result of this tweet, 
he was suspended from John Jay College. And uh, that's been in, in force for a few weeks now. I don't know what his future will hold. He told an interviewer that his suspension was imposed not because of the abhorrent sentiment that he had expressed, this is a quote I'm reading, but for security reasons. And here's a quote from him. I was receiving a barrage of death threats, he told Dom Giordano on WPHT. I don't know what that is. Adding that when he arrived at John Jay the previous Friday, school security supervisors said they were posting plainclothes officers outside my classroom and one next to it because of the threats the university had been receiving. And of course, what this means is that this guy who had gloated about the deaths of police officers accepted police protection. Because remember, this only ended because the college suspended him. He didn't ask to be suspended. So he was happy to go in there and accept this police protection. Now, I guess you could say that the police protection was forced upon him, but... If that's the case, then why does he mention that he was receiving a barrage of death threats? He was obviously scared. So, to, you know, putting, putting two and two together seems obvious that seems inevitable that he willingly accepted police protection, and I think that is just the height of well, it's very standard of leftist hypocrisy. And I wonder if he's still accepting, if he's still got police protection now, because you know he is still a public hate figure. Anyway, that's part one of this whole thing. And, you know, it happened and I was thinking about making a video about it, but it didn't seem that interesting. Um, you know, you've, what have you got? Uh, another stupid leftist with no self-reflection. Uh, well, you know, they're ten a fucking penny. But then things developed and it emerged about ten days ago now that Michael Isaacson is into BDSM fetishism, uh, sadomasochism, and that kind of thing. He has an account on a website called fetlife.com, fet as in fetish, and he has a huge number of fetishes. It's quite astonishing. He also describes himself as polyamorous and pansexual. I suppose now would be a good time for me to look up the definition of pansexual, but... Um, not limited in sexual choice with regard to biological sex, gender, or gender identity. <laughs> what the fucking hell does that even amount to? Is that just like, you know, I'm just attracted to basically everyone or anyone. And there are no rules, no boundaries at all. Oh, fuck. How open-minded of you. And uh, then here is his list of fetishes. This is screenshotted from his account on fetlife.com and it's quite an astonishing well I mean maybe it's quite a typical sort of range uh, for the people who frequent that website I'm not sure but I'm going to go through each of them um, now they're not all fetishes they're also interests that he lists as fetishes he's into 420 which I, I'm told means marijuana he's a dope smoking adjunct professor of economics <laughs> at a criminal justice college um, a cab, which, now, okay, that could mean all cops are bastards, all cops are bitches, or all communists are beautiful. We're not sure. He also says that he's, he, he, he likes receiving anarchism. 
<laughs> then he's, he's into everything to do with androgyny. He likes giving Antifa. I bet he likes receiving Antifa as well. I, mean, I don't know why he's limited himself to giving it, but whatever. He likes receiving attention, and I find that one kind of tragic. We'll get onto that at the end. Um, bashing fascists, everything to do with it. <laughs> Black, I mean, how many fascists has he bashed? That This effeminate dweeb, for Christ's sake. Moving on. He's into black block sex parties. I can't even imagine what that entails, and, you know, I don't want to. Uh, brats. That may be some American thing that I'm not familiar with. Breast, and, he likes giving breast and nipple play. Presumably, well, I was going to say to female lovers, but I was going to say lovers, but, yeah. <laughs> Probably, I would imagine, to sex partners of either sex. Breath play, everything that God knows. Butt plugs, well, there's there's a surprise. Choking, and this is where we yeah, this is more telling, I think. And there's a tweet to do with that, um, but I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> he he's he, he's into giving communism, <laughs> and I do wonder if he'd be as into receiving communism. People usually aren't. And then cunnilingus, giving. Well, thank God he's not into receiving that. Um, Face-fucking, everything to do with it, which I think means both receiving and giving. Face-sitting and smothering, receiving. Okay, so uh, fair enough. Um, that's, that's actually the most normal one so far. Gender play, who knows. Irony, well, that's fucking ironic. I mean, this whole thing, yeah, okay. And uh, he likes giving jokes, uh, uh, memes. Uh, he likes giving multiple orgasms. Okay, that's pretty normal. Um, and then New, <laughs> New, <laughs> New Jersey accents. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've been watching clips from The Sopranos recently. I, I think those are New Jersey accents, and that's probably the weirdest fetish so far. And then polyamory, everything to do with it. Radical queers, riding crops, giving. Seizing the means of production. <laughs> and then receiving, smothering, giving, uh, teasing, and toys, everything to do with it. So that's what he's into. And then there's a separate list of things that he's curious about. Ass worship. Calling my subs, and subs are when you're the dominant party in a BDSM interaction, the other person is the sub, the submissive. Calling my subs dirty fascist lapdog whores. Uh, but as we'll get on to later, he's, he doesn't like being the dominant. He prefers to be the sub, which, I, I mean, again, no surprise to anyone. Group sex. And then this one is utterly baffling to me. Receiving mummification. <laughs> and then receiving pegging. Again, not the slightest bit surprising. Uh, predicament bondage. Now, um, I happened to look this up. And I'm going to read the Wikipedia definition of this. Okay, predicament bondage is a form of bondage, <laughs> typically, in which a person is restrained 
with an option of placing themselves in one of a pair of uncomfortable positions, which are sufficiently uncomfortable that the person is forced to shift after a time to the other position. (laughs) The default position is typically intended to cause muscle fatigue. (laughs) such as standing on tiptoe, which forces the subject to choose a more physically painful position. For For example, letting themselves lower their weight and stand regularly while forcing a rope attached to their genitals to pull taut and cause pain. So, <laughs> um, and it goes on, but I think you get the idea. Predicament bondage is when you are sort of, there are two options available to you and you have to oscillate between one and the other because each one, you can only stand up for so long. And then, I mean, for God's sake. So that's, yeah. He's into everything to do with predicament bondage. And then puppy play, which apparently is when you pretend to be a dog and the the person treats you as a dog and gives you water and stuff like that. Self-bondage. And, uh, well, I, 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 what the, why the hell? And then suspension bondage, uh, receiving. He's not into giving suspension bondage, just receiving it. And now suspension bondage is a form of sexual bondage where a bound person is hung from one or more overhead suspension points. <laughs> suspension bondage is considered to carry a higher risk than other forms of sexual bondage. And um, there are different types of this, different subtypes, partial suspension, full suspension, and then three main positions, vertical suspension, horizontal suspension, and inverted suspension. I'm not going to go into that. Um, and then the final thing that he's into receiving is waterboarding. So that's that. That's the list of fetishes that and that he is into and is curious about. Okay. I mean, it's funny, of course, but I'm doing this because I think it's all building up a picture. So here's the thing. This was discovered, this profile that he has on FetLife.com. Oh, and I should say that he's also into... Yeah, the the other thing I wanted to mention here is that he's into various groups within that community. There are sub-communities. Anarchist BDSM, BDSM Mentors, uh, FetLife Announcements, Kinky Jews, NYC. So he's Jewish. Um, There we go. I'm sure that's not relevant. Uh, And then New York City Kinky Radicals, uh, Novices and Newbies, uh, NYC TNG, is that Star Trek The Next Generation? I don't know. Aged 18 to 35. Queertastrophe, Rope rope Bite Brooklyn. And so there we go. That's just groups that he's into as well. So he was, this is the thing. This profile was discovered, but and, and it was kind of like a revelation. But the thing is, he had been very open about his fetishes. His tweet history contains numerous references to it. And here, there's a separate thing that I want to mention. that 
like many people now, nowadays. He has no respect for the public-private boundary. Now, there used to be that people had a sense of discretion and self-respect um, and respect for other people. You know, they, they understood that, and respect for social mores. They understood that it wasn't right when you're in a position, when you're in any position in society, when you're in society, it isn't right to broadcast your private life, and especially if it's pervy like this stuff, uh, because other people are shocked by it, they're baffled by it, they're offended by it, and they just don't want to hear about it. And of course, it will also affect you, you professionally or personally. Um, so it's just a bad idea to do it. People used to understand that. But nowadays, we often don't. It seems to be a boundary that is being corroded. And I think this is a matter of self-respect. And I also think that maybe he was self-sabotaging by talking about this stuff on his Twitter profile publicly. Maybe it was a sort of unconscious self-sabotage. Who knows? So here are some tweets from him regarding his uh, not-so-secret life. So I got tied up last night at a fetish party. That was in February this year. And uh, some details about that. And there are a photo of him looking very delighted about his having been tied up. And um, the next one, and there, there is a photo of him tied up, but I'm not going to put that here just because it's a bit too... Actually, I should I? Yeah. yeah, for the sake of it, because I think this is a tragic image. I, I will include this image. This was on his FetLife profile, and it's... I mean, it's just tragic. You know, this is a, a pathetic human being who's... <sighs> who's very damaged, I think. I mean, to do that to yourself in the first place is bad enough, but then... Then to put it on a website where anyone could see it, and then to even tweet about it where everyone could see it. Uh, I mean, he didn't tweet that picture, but he tweeted about his... That he likes being tied up. That is tragic. And uh, then the next one. Um, ah, no, this is about the choking that I mentioned earlier. Someone put something in my butt and make me think I'm going to die soon, please. This is the best way I can ar articulate my apparent kink. Still not sure what it is or what it means. Well, of course not, because he's got no self-reflection. And then uh, someone else says, for what it's worth, I find the death thing to be the most common kink I come across. There's something in the existential dread water. <laughs> and then Michael Isaacson replies, I just want to feel like continuing to breathe is a useless waste of time. And that's very sad. And I don't believe that it's just a sensation or a novelty. I believe that these things are psychologically revealing. In this case, it's a fascination with death, or a fascination with life. I think it's one or the other. It's, uh, and if it's a fascination with life, it's not, it's not a healthy one. It's not, it's not being expressed healthily. And then the last one I'm going to sh talk about is this. Uh, oh yeah. I'm still in the market to be pegged by a tanky while they yell at me about Kronstadt and gulags, by the way. 
tanky is some sort of some sort of communist thing. So I think it's to do with Stalin. And uh, then he goes on, if you're a tanky and think I'm cute and capable of using a strap-on, why aren't you in my butthole? Uh, if you're a woman with a cock, that is also acceptable. Hint, motherfucking hint. Oh yeah, I, I wrote this down. Tanky is a derogatory term for members or sympathisers of the Communist Party who followed the Kremlin line and defended it like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> there we go. Oh, and then the final... Sorry, that's not the final one. Here's the final one that I want to share here. The no answer to the golden showers question on OK Cupid makes no sense. It doesn't matter if you're a germaphobe. Urine is sterile. What the fuck is someone even thinking about this stuff for? I mean, he's looking for a justification for saying that, oh, it's fine to piss on each other. There, there, there's no health risk. Why would you want that? Okay, whatever. Okay. So, what we have here is a weak, skinny, effeminate man who has an obsession with power. But it's power without authority behind it. It's power in and of itself, raw, primal, and meaningless. You could put another way, uh, he's yet another modern person who doesn't know himself. And that is just so common nowadays, it's unbelievable. For example, namely, why does he like the idea of dead cops? If we come back to his, his tweets. He has reasons that he can present to people uh, who ask. What, you know, what's his obsession? Why does he like the idea of cops being killed? He has reasons that he can give to people when they ask that. But I don't believe that those are the real reasons. You know, these socio-political reasons about uh, the military-industrial complex and all that. I think that those are just uh, cover stories. I believe that the real reasons that he's into, uh, that he's, he likes the idea of dead cops, are psychological reasons and to do with him uh, and are very deep-seated as well. So he is naturally passive, weak and submissive. And he, and this is the important thing, he does not like being the dominant party. He'll do it if the other person wants him to, but he doesn't like it. He prefers to be the sub. So naturally passive, weak and submissive. And I would hazard a guess that he fears strong men, even though he is entranced by being dominated by the idea of it. And this leads us to something that I, a theory that I have about leftists. And obviously I'm not talking about all leftists. Uh, I'm just noting a characteristic that I have seen among them. <clears throat> leftists are fine with someone winning the lottery but not with someone working hard and getting rich uh, through their own efforts. Leftists can handle, they are willing to accept that some people are born strong, but they are liable to object to the idea of someone working out and getting buff, getting jacked, because that's the person bettering themselves through effort and choosing to do so. It's not a random accidental thing. It's something that has been decided upon and worked for. Leftists are willing to accept someone being born more intelligent, but not someone getting private tuition for their kid in order to 
improve the kids' chances and give them an unfair advantage. They can un- they can understand, they can accept something that's unfair as long as it happens randomly and is not uh, chosen. They are fine with random or uncontrollable advantage, but not with advantage that has been chosen, desired, and earned. Now, similarly, Michael Isaacson is fine with power that is random and without authority. It's just raw power. Um, Because as long as it doesn't have authority, it doesn't have meaning behind it. What he can't stand is power with authority. And this is how he can hate the police and the systematic, practiced, uh, and authorized power that they wield, while being obsessed with the random and socially meaningless exertion of power between sexual partners. Now, you might say that the practice of power in a BDSM thing between two partners has psychological meaning um, or spiritual meaning. I, I dare say that is that can be true, but it doesn't have social, it doesn't re- relate to their society. Uh, and uh, so that is the important thing here. It, it is ultimately, it is socially meaningless power. So that's why he's okay with it. And what all of this has in common is a hatred of meaning and purpose. So they're fine with someone winning the lottery because that's a random, meaningless event. It doesn't reflect on the person's character at all. Just could happen to anyone. They're fine with someone being born strong, again, because it doesn't mean anything. It could happen to anyone. They're fine with someone being born more intelligent because it's random. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't reflect on them. They didn't do anything to get it. They'll object to that person for various other reasons, but they won't object to the idea of the intelligence itself. Because it's random and therefore socially meaningless. So, what all of this has in common is a hatred of meaning and purpose, especially at the societal level, Uh, i.e. a man choosing, a police officer choosing to accept a responsibility to handle power and being granted that responsibility by a society that has systems in place to ensure that it goes relatively smoothly. Systems that Michael Isaacson knows, as a psychologically weak man, that he would fail. But he wouldn't fail them just because he hasn't put in the effort. He would fail them because they threaten his very idea of himself. So he would never put in the effort. He is naturally and inevitably uh, psychologically weak and that's why he's physically weak as well that again that expresses his psychological weakness that he that he identifies with and holds dear to himself so a lack of self-reflection because uh well if he were to examine himself if he were to self-reflect he would understand that the reason he objects to the police and the reason he glories in the idea of future dead cops is not to do with the military-industrial complex. It's to do with his own craven weakness as a man, his own incredible inadequacy as a man. So lack of self-reflection leads to someone being intellectually chaotic and dishonest, 
which is why Michael Isaacson has been beaten in every interview that I've seen of him. He's done various interviews in the aftermath of this furore. There is no purity of intent with him, because there can't be, because he doesn't know what his intent is. He thinks his intent is to protect the weak, but really his intent is to destroy the strong, because he's frightened of them. So that's really uh, the end of my psychological analysis of him. What I would say now is, how the hell can we keep young people from teachers like this guy? Because God knows, <laughs> a good society, like a really good ideal society, would somehow scan people, uh, teachers, professors, and lecturers, to make sure that they were psychologically sound and not going to spew poison, uh, either openly or subtly. Uh, towards uh, to their students and uh, brainwash them and implant destructive ideas, as this guy certainly will do. And I don't know. We don't have the resources. I, I, I would, I would expect. So we have to. I mean, the thing is, they would all. These people will always have existed. There will always have been teachers and professors and lecturers who have these psychological hang-ups, these intense, crippling hang-ups. But the social structures around them would have basically forced them to keep this stuff to themselves. They certainly wouldn't have been tweeting about it openly. And I think that they would have been made aware of the fact that they are misfits from society is not necessarily a good thing. And therefore, they would have watched it. They would have kept a, an eye on it. They would have known, okay, I don't fit in. And that's not necessarily because I'm better than the status quo, than the norm, than the convention. And so when I am tempted to work against the, the norm, the convention, the future police officer, I should watch myself. I should question, what am I doing? I think that social structures sufficiently enforced would ensure, or would at least promote that level of self-reflection in people. So, hope, I mean, ideally, there wouldn't be a need for hardcore psychological scanning of every candidate lecturer. But, of course, in this day and age, we don't have social structures. We're, the only social structure we really have now is that you should approve of anything and everything. That's about it. And, obviously, that you should be left-wing <laughs> in the academic environment. So, um... I mean, the upshot is that we are, we have no way to stop these people from getting these jobs, operating openly in them with their, uh, their hang-ups and their political ideas that uh, spring from those hang-ups, and implanting their ideas into the students. We have no way to stop it. Which is a shame. And uh, again, it's one of those things that will only be solved, it will only be resol resolved, I should say, by some kind of huge cataclysm in society. Because the, how are you going to, how are you going to, how, how would you sort this out? Yeah, I mean, you, you could implement some kind of vetting system, but then you'd have to mandate that every college adhered to it, and you'd have to train up the, the vetters. And then on what basis 
would you say that this guy, this Michael Isaacson, for example, is not fit to be a lecturer? You can only say that if you had social structures that, about the proper exercise of power. Uh, that the police, for all their flaws, represent something that we all want to believe in, and therefore that should not be denigrated. Should be questioned, but not denigrated. Not desanctified. Well, try telling that to, try instilling that attitude in any academic environment today. I don't think you could. So the final thing I want to show you is this tweet. And this is Michael Isaacson in May this year. Was supposed to Skype with my partner tonight, but I think she fell asleep. And I hope she has nice dreams and wakes up well rested. And I find that genuinely very touching and tragic because he wanted his partner, he wanted to, to talk to her, he was looking forward to it, but she's not available. She's, and he thinks she's fallen asleep and, and he wishes her the best. Yeah, it's very needy, it's very fragile. And if we're going to say that this man is not really a man, he can't compete at that level, then we have to treat him for what he is, a needy, fragile individual. And, you know, unless we're going to purge them in some way, then we have to understand and accept what they are, which I do. And then you, well, then having done that, you then witness their their frailty, their neediness, and it's kind of gut-wrenching was supposed to Skype with my partner tonight, but I think she fell asleep. I hope she has nice dreams and wakes up well-rested. He's an incredibly needy guy. But in a way, you know, if I, were, if I were a utopian, I would just find that contemptible and say, he should be put down, people like him are weak. But as it is, I believe in that man is a fallen creature, and so... Wisely or unwisely, my heart goes out to him. I'm afraid to say. I, mean, I don't think he should have the job he has. I don't think he should be in a position of authority. But I do think that witnessing this can kind of remind us of the frailty that we're all susceptible to from time to time. Let's put it that way. The frailty that is part of the human condition. However, it then gets a bit nastier because somebody replies to him that he has been cucked, that his partner, his girlfriend, has not fallen asleep. She's with some other guy. And um, the person's probably joking, but, the, but Michael Isaacson replies to that tweet loud and proud. I'm cucked. And I'm loud and proud about it. Which goes to show that he hates himself. Now, is he serious in agreeing that his partner may have cheated on him? Or is his loud and proud comment about being cucked uh, a delusion? Uh, or if he knows that she may have cheated on him, is he sincere when he wishes her well in the first place? 
Or is he the type to violently explode one day? Maybe he's uh, he knows damn well that maybe he believes what this person suggests already. And maybe he, that was in his mind already. And he knows that she's not falling asleep. He knows that she's with some other guy or some, some other girl, perhaps. And one day this uh, torment, this is, this is not something that he can live with. He's just, it's getting to him. And one day he will explode and hurt her, perhaps. You know, the final arrival of his masculinity, his demand to be taken seriously by his partner, by his woman, perhaps. I think not. I don't think that Michael Isaacson would ever be violent towards a woman. Uh, sometimes with these people, I think, yeah, it makes sense that he would. He pretends to be vulnerable and needy and gentle and kind and all that and feminine, but really his masculinity is waiting to erupt and one day some woman's going to get it. She's going to get a shock. Uh, sometimes I can believe that of a lot of SJWs and Antifa types. But in this case, in Michael Isaacson's case, I don't think so. I think that he is genuinely and naturally weak and passive and self-hating. And actually quite at peace with this condition, within himself. I think he probably likes being cucked because it, or the idea of it happening, because it affirms how he views himself already. It means that he's right in his view of himself. It's, it's accurate. And therefore that he doesn't have to change, he doesn't have to self-reflect. And, um, and that he can rely on his women to know him and understand him. That he is weak. But what he's, I think he is quite at peace with that, within himself. What he's clearly not at peace with is his place within society. And that's why it comes out in the stuff about cops. And perhaps, who knows, maybe that's why he chose that job in the first place at that particular college. Maybe he applied to their knowing that he was going to be getting this sick thrill. Either way, I think it's I think it's safe to say that after this scandal, this furore, Michael Isaacson will never have a normal life again. But, as I have said of myself, he probably never wanted a normal life anyway. And now he has to pay the price for that. He has to pay the, pay the price for being the outlier that he is. As do we all. Thank you for watching.